Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week, Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Of course, on your Supertalk Mississippi radio stations. We're glad to be with you this afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and it's going to be that way for the rest of the week. Well, at least kind of. Uh, hey, Dad is under the weather and is going to be out for the remainder of the week. We'll look forward, hopefully, to having him back on Monday. Borky and I will be with you today, as normal. Tomorrow, on location in Oxford, we'll be at Swayze Field for the kickoff of the uh, the, the 2023 college baseball season, a celebration of Ole Miss's national championship, and also a big look ahead to uh, to this college baseball season, not just for Ole Miss, but for Mississippi State, for Southern Miss, and uh, we'll have plenty, plenty, plenty to get to tomorrow afternoon. And then on Friday... There's a ton of baseball going on. You got Ole Miss with uh, their first game at 4 o'clock. You got Mississippi State with their first game at 3 o'clock. Michael Borky is going to be out. It's going to be, I think, some combination of Will East and me and some of the things that you've heard from throughout the course of the week and just a lot of stuff. So uh, busy next three days here in Sports Talk Mississippi world, and uh, we're glad to have you along for the ride in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. Visit them online at dancingrabbitgolf.com. Two 18-hole championship courses, the Oaks and the Azaleas. I got golf fever, Borky. I've, I, I played once this year, uh, and it was in Arizona a couple of weeks ago, and I played like absolute dog poo. All right, like oh, I, no. I, I, I shot 94. Hey, it did bad round. I did not make a putt. The, I didn't hit it terribly. And look, I can I can explain it away with you know rental clubs and you know first round of the year and it was cold and all that good stuff. I just didn't play well, and that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. But it wasn't like oh I hate this game I never want to play again. It was like I cannot wait to actually get back on the golf course um, and practice a little bit and you know hopefully be no, more where I, I normally am. But it's coming soon. And uh, Dancing Rabbit wants you to be a part of what they've got going on the golf course this spring. You can book your tee time, plan your trip at uh, dancingrabbitgolf.com. What's up, man? Oh, I, I am having so much fun. I wish Hey Dad were here. Hope he gets well, all that. Because if he were here... <laughs> Hope he gets well and all that I, stuff. Oh, he's fine. I mean, we were joking earlier. Yeah. I wish he was here so I could sit here and read tweet after tweet about him and his opinion of a home-and-home with Southern Miss from Southern Miss fans. They are not happy. Not happy! 
All right, with this, Brian Haydad. Is this just a function of that one tweet where so, yes. with the video? I'm only seeing like one response so, to that. Somebody took the video and made it their own like thing. And the only reason why I saw it is like a couple people tagged us in it, so I found the thread and buddy, it is long and distinguished. They hate Brian Haydad now. Hate it. Okay. And it, I would read every single one of these to him. But he's well, not here. But but well, it's, I don't know, we can have fun. It is you guys have fun at my expense all the time when I'm not here. <laughs> True. There's no reason that that you can't uh, if they're entertaining read some of of these responses. Well, we did, by the way. So uh, last time you were off, or no, it was when we were uh, doing the remote in Jackson at the trademark. Great day. We had a listener um, come to your defense. <laughs> How dare you guys speak about somebody that you should be close with? And we were like, hey, man, chill. It's because we respect him. Like, if you never rip on your friends, are you really friends? If you're only just nice to your buddies, if that's all you are is just nice, then you're not really buddies. You're acquaintances. That's all it is. It's a respect thing. It's a we like him thing. If we didn't make some jokes at your expense, I would be worried, you know, do they like me? I don't know. I mean, that, that's how dudes work. It, it, anyway, so if you're still listening out there, if we rip on Haydad today, it's because we like him, and that's it. But man, some of these, uh, some of these aren't so bad. By the way, I didn't realize that Haydad had, had put his ailment out there on the uh, the Twitter sphere. Oh, uh, I didn't either. Yeah, he he's got the vid. Apparently, his whole family's got the vid. He sent us a message today. He's like, "I've got COVID. I'll, I'm out until Monday, guys." And my response was, wait, is that still a thing? I, 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 really? So you tested positive for a cold today. Good to know. All right, bud. We'll see you Monday. <laughs> oh, man. We then, are... he, then I felt bad. He did tell me that his, his wife, uh, her food tasted like bleach last night. Yeah. Which, Ooh. has she tasted bleach before to know that? Or, well, or smell and taste are like the same thing. Yeah, I guess kind of so. All right. One, we are tired of listening to middle tier dollar sign EC homers act like their schools are anything more than coattail riders to the big boys. Give up that welfare check and see what happens. Ooh, okay. Middle tier coattail riders have to hold on to pride anywhere you can when your Give conference we- mates... Welfare check. Yeah, welfare, welfare check. check. Yeah. Okay. Have to hold on to pride anywhere you can when your conference mates use you as a punching bag, even when that pride is imagined superiority. I thought I thought Southern Miss fans kind of liked Mississippi State. I thought it was I, Ole Miss that they felt so so much disdain for. I love how this guy thinks Ole Miss and State are in the same category as Alabama, Auburn, and LSU. Didn't both Ole Miss and State beat Auburn this year? They did. That's right. Mm-hmm. SEC means absolutely nothing on the football field. Any of them can catch this L. Huh? I don't know. But are we sure that Hey Dad's out with COVID, or or he didn't like go home last night and his wife found out what she said about or what he said about her on the radio, 
And, like, she just kind of grounded him for the rest of the week. <laughs> Maybe it's that. Uh, I'm just, just thinking out loud. They're low-tier SEC. They have to pay millions to guarantee bowl eligibility. A lot of pot shots at Ole Miss in here as well. Like, talking about doormats and stuff. Um, you know, there are only two SEC teams that have more wins in the last two years than Ole Miss, right? And it's Alabama and Georgia. That, that's it. Like, that's it. Just those yeah, two. Yeah, well, yeah. Black Facts, feelings, all that. Not every great once in a while. Root canals, colonoscopies, things many central Mississippi media would rather have than talk about us, much less play us. Beat them this year. Let their new schedule be the reason for canceling the other games and move on with life. Oozing with the mindset they judge Ole Miss for having. Ooh. Ooh. We are uh, statewide, by the way, not central Mississippi. This Brian Haydad dude needs to understand a few things. Ole Miss and State are not Alabama, Auburn, or LSU. Another reminder that Ole Miss and State both beat Auburn this year. Like that happened. Plenty of mid-tier Power 5 teams play home-and-homes with in-state regional group of fivers. See Virginia Tech, Old Dominion, NC State, ECU, Colorado, Colorado State, Indiana, Cincinnati. Wait. Indiana, Cincinnati. Cincinnati's in Ohio, but either Where's way. Indiana? Boston College Temple. Where? Where's Boston College? Where's anyway? <laughs> I mean, Massachusetts and Pennsylvania are in the same part of the country. Okay. Uh, I'm loving will, these, and I love the passion. I, I'm making fun because you guys are making fun of my guy. So, I, but I love this. This, I, I'm, I'm laughing because I enjoy it. The, it the, college sports wouldn't be college sports without this stuff right here. I love it. If you would like to be a part of the conversation, you can join us on the Ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from Ceasefire Business. Check them out online at ceasefire.com slash business. Kyle says, I think hey, I've got a black eye. That's why he's sitting out. Um, hmm. Let's see here. Good stuff out of Hattiesburg. Time to expand. That is a picture of a tweet from Southern Miss Baseball. The 2023 home season is sold out. Stay tuned for select opportunities for single-game standing room tickets at the Pete. That's awesome. Uh, I did Something Luke said a while ago piqued my interest about the possibility of outfield seating. I know they got the roost and right, but there is a ton of real estate beyond the outfield walls there where they Mm -hmm. could put something, where they currently don't have something. And I can't imagine it would be too cost-prohibitive, right? You're putting risers in an outfield. Can't be that expensive. Curious to see if that's actually something they'll do. Be worth taking a look at. For sure. We'll read more of your messages when we come back. Got a ton to get to this afternoon. Mark Wise will join us to talk to Mississippi State and Kentucky at 337. Take the friggin' wax out of here. Did you hear me? This is Sports Talk. Sports Talk. Mississippi. I say sports fans. Now, here's more on Super Talk Mississippi.
this town been a long time coming, been a long hard time. There is a, uh, there's a court case that is happening today. I don't know if you followed along with this today, Michael Borky, or not, but uh, this is another lawsuit where the defendant, I guess it would be the defendant, is the NCAA, and uh, it does not appear to be going well. One of the judges, this according to Nicole Auerbach about half an hour ago, one of the judges just asked NCAA counsel how it's possible that college athletes are not employees given how much the schools and the NCAA over them, their time demands, etc. One of the judges says that an athlete is more valuable to university than a work-study student working in the cafeteria or library. The NCAA is defending itself in the Johnson case by pointing out the potential antitrust issues the NCAA face are not central to this case, but are to the next case. Oh, wait, they're going to get sued again. Yeah. The Johnson case is about whether or not athletes should be classified as employees and should receive hourly wages. The judges are asking about athletes' economic value, as evidenced by NIL deals, the value of media deals, and the NCAA arguing that is not at issue in this case. When the judge has questions that the response is, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about right now, then yeah, it doesn't necessarily appear to be going well. What, what concerns me about stuff like this is, what will happen to the sports that quote unquote nobody cares about that does a lot of good for a lot of people? And my fear is they could possibly go away. I mean, I, I know people that went to college for free. I had a couple high school teammates. Mm-hmm. And then people I knew in high school in, in different sports go to college for free that otherwise wouldn't have. There, there one, one guy in particular went to a lower level, played college football at a lower level school. I know for a fact he would not have gone to college without it. And so when you take those kind of things away, or those can be jeopardized if this goes too far down a road that it's going down. That's why NIL, if done appropriately, would have made sense. Because the schools wouldn't have had to cut soccer to pay for everything. Somebody else would have had to pay for it, and instead they screwed that up. And now it's going to go like this. You know, Borky, here's here's like a crazy reality. You, you look across the SEC, and all I, oh goodness, I think all fourteen teams in the SEC now have an over a hundred million dollar budget for, for athletics total. And if it's not all fourteen, it's really close. And the ones that aren't to $100 million if, if there's anybody that's short, are not far from it. And yet, even though those budget numbers are that big, it's not like you've got programs that are sitting around just flush with cash because the expenses are... And it's their own doing. You know, it's 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 school's own fault, to some degree. Yeah, to some degree. Because I mean, but, but, well, I guess what I'm saying is, let's take Ole Miss as an example. What department budgets? 
115, $120 million. If you want to keep up in the SEC, I'm not even talking about like being the leader out in front of everybody. I'm just saying keep pace. You have to spend money, right? You, you have another school with deep pockets, not just in your league, but in your division, make a run at your football coach. And as a result, and I know how the season ended, I get all of that. But when that process started and the negotiations started, Ole Miss was sitting pretty with Lane Kiffin in terms of record and how the season was going and all of those things. Point being, you end up having to pay your football coach $9 million. And that's expensive. But it's not just that. You go get a new defensive coordinator that you're paying over $2 million. And you had to buy him out of his deal that he was under. And you got an offensive coordinator that you're paying almost a million dollars. And all these position coaches that are making between, what, 600000 and $1.2 million. And support staff and analysts. And it's just football. You got a baseball coach that just won a national championship. Obviously deserves a raise. And his assistant coaches deserve raises. And you're having to do facility improvements during the offseason there. And you've got a basketball arena that's five years old that cost $100 million, and you got the debt service on that. And though the program is not winning right now, the cost of the coach is quite high. It's over $3 million a year, plus his assistance. And on the women's basketball side, you're paying your coach almost a million dollars a year. And you got a women's golf program that won a national championship. And look, is that a salary that's breaking? No, uh, the point is, everything is expensive. And your scholarship costs are more, and your insurance costs are more, and your debt service costs are more, and, and it's just like that money just gets eaten up. So is it your fault that you've spent a ton of money? Hey, yeah. But what are you going to sell to your fans otherwise? That. If, you're, if your fans are demanding that you swim in the same waters that, to borrow our friends from Southern Miss's tweets from earlier, you're swimming in the same waters as Alabama and LSU and Auburn. you got to spend comparably or you're just going to drown. But how is that any different than, like, you and me and Jim and Sally and Greg and Matthew and Hammy and I, I'm just uh, Mike and I'm just grabbing names randomly off the text line of Chris that I whose name I see who who have a salary or whatever your means of generating income is for you and your family. Borky, what happens if you spend more than you've got? <laughs> <laughs> little thing you called gotta debt. figure out you got to figure out a way to pay for it you either go into debt Sells you end stuff. up with an uncomfortable situation related to bankruptcy you have to figure out a way to make more money you have to adjust your budget and spend le- like like the, yeah. you have to do things i mean even college athletics isn't the federal government where you can just run up the deficit and print more money 
Yeah, doesn't work like that. My guess is that Zach Selman and Starkville and Keith Carter and Oxford and Jeremy McLean, for that matter, in Hattiesburg would love a money press in their office. When things get tight, nah, we'll worry about how to pay for this another day. Just print some more. We'll pay for the stadium expansion. Just print some more money. But you have to ask your boosters for money. Yeah. But guess what else your boosters are being asked for money on now? To compensate the athletes. When there's a court case being heard right now that may force schools to have to pay their athletes. Yeah, which it goes back to, you know, when the California thing came up, because California is always innovative. Um California is also broke, aren't they? Yeah, uh, very significantly, and people are leaving in droves. Amazing. Um, no, but when you do things like revenue split, that 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 phrase really concerns me, and not because I don't think the players, or if you're the product, you deserve to get paid. General principle of the founding of this country: capitalism, individual freedom, stuff like that. You know, it's kind of the basis of why we exist where we do. But if you're going to implement a revenue-sharing model in college sports, cutting Nick Saban's salary or whoever the head coach at Alabama's salary by $8 million a year is great, but it doesn't solve the problem. Because there's a thing called Title IX, right? It requires you to have equivalency for women's sports and men's sports. But there are how many women's sports teams? I'm not talking about Sports. I'm talking about individual teams that make money for their school. How many? None. So, when you do a 50-50 revenue split, how are you going to continue to pay for softball and volleyball and soccer? How do you do that? You're going to have to cut men's sports. Mm-hmm. That's how you're going to do it. And you, they'll, they'll cut some women's sports, too. They will reduce... All of the the pork, as they say in Washington, that'll mm. all go away. And what goes away with it are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of opportunities for people that they wouldn't get otherwise. It's a dangerous road they're going down, and I don't think they've—I haven't seen a single person bring that up yet, and I don't know why. We'll pick this conversation up later. There is a huge basketball game tonight in Starkville, Mississippi State, and Kentucky. It's on the SEC Network. Mark Wise is the analyst. He'll join us next on the Farm Bureau Guest Line. Sports Talk Mississippi, your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Let me put it to you this way. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross and Michael Borkey. Hey, Dad, is off for the rest of the week. Time for us to go to the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. We are joined by Mark Wise, college basketball analyst with ESPN and the SEC Network. He is in Starkville getting set for Mississippi State and Kentucky tonight. You want to follow Mark on Twitter? And and he he hashtags hoops junkies a lot, or hoop junkies a lot. So if you like college basketball and you fancy yourself a hoop junkie, then uh, this is a Twitter follower for you at M 
W Hoops. Mark Wise, the professor. Good afternoon, my friend. Hello, Richard. How are you? Uh, I'm great. Thank you. Uh, always good to visit. A little bit different scenario here on the radio than how we normally do it on television. Man, this game tonight just strikes me as so big. But I'm wondering if we have reached the point where this game is actually bigger for Kentucky than it is for Mississippi State. Well, according to Lenardi, it is. Um, you know, it, it's a quad one opportunity for Kentucky. It's not a quad one game for Mississippi State. And I think Lenardi came out earlier today and said that even if Mississippi State loses, they would probably still be in the field. But, yeah, it's a big game. Uh, we're unaccustomed to having Kentucky in a bubble game with such magnitude in middle of February. Um, I don't know that anybody saw this coming three months ago, but Mississippi State's playing a lot better, and Kentucky, for all of the injuries, is still trying to find their identity. And, Richard, in February, I don't think that's a good thing. And and this is a Mississippi State team that seems to be pretty comfortable in its identity, don't they? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. I say, I think, you know, their DNA is the defensive end. Um, I'll, although I would be quick to point out that I think they have gotten on this run that they're on because of shooting the ball better. And, and specifically Shaquille Moore, Shaq Moore has made a significant difference last five games, averaging better than 13 points a game and better than 50% at the arc. So, when you throw that in, and, and then, of course, the DJ Jeffries, who makes five threes in the LSU game. I mean, they're, they're, first of all, I had uh, Mississippi State earlier in the year where they made zero threes. Mm. And it's really hard. I don't care how good you are defensively. It's really hard to win games without making shots. And that's what Mississippi State was trying to do in the early part of the SEC schedule. Now, the, the schedule was really brutal um, in terms of the way they opened up. Um, and they played, you know, Alabama twice in the front nine. So, but this is a team that's in a much different place. They are so good defensively. They're long. They they have a certain edge about them defensively. Uh, they they've won the points off turnovers in that differential. They've won that ten of the twelve SEC games. Mark, tell me this: when you when you study Mississippi State. And, and you study Chris James, and you mentioned you've had him earlier in the season and, and getting them again tonight. And we can talk about teams playing hard, right? There, there are lots of teams that play hard. And then you've got yeah. different schemes that are out there, whether you're a pressing team or a trapping team or a man team or a zone team. When you study Mississippi State, what do you see it is, what do you see that they do that Chris Jans teaches that makes them unique and makes them so good defensively? I think it's a great question, and I'll start this way. I think in order to be defensive, uh, to be a really good defensive team, and Kim Palm, I think, today has them as the fourth uh, most efficient team on that side of the floor, I think you have to have three things. You have to have team speed. Uh, Mississippi State is above average there. You've got to have length, and that's where the uh, the Bulldogs are just off the charts in terms of their team length, especially with, Jeffries and Matthews almost interchangeable at the three and the four. And then you've got to have the ability to block shots at multiple positions because of that length. And you've got to be committed. The last part is you've got to be committed. So I think what Chris Jans did was inherent 
was inherit a lot of the first three ingredients, and through his teaching and coaching, is able to get these guys to buy in at an early part of the season, which is one of the reasons why I think they went on that magical undefeated uh, start to the season, especially in the non-conference before running into Drake. So what do I think they do best? They are as good as any team I have had all year about reading kick-out passes. What do I mean by that? We all talk about get your feet in the paint, kick out to a three-point shooter, or look cross-court for any kind of weak-side three-point shooting opportunity. They are as good as I have seen all year in reading those passes and stealing those kinds of passes. They're number one in the SEC in league play in steals per game. A big reason for that is their ability to read and react that way. Visiting with Mark Wise, college basketball analyst with ESPN and the SEC Network. He and Roy Philpott have the game tonight, SEC Network. 7.30 tip-off in Starkville. It's Mississippi State and Kentucky. If we flip over to Kentucky just a second, you, you mentioned a few moments ago that they're, they're still searching for an identity in February, and that's that's not good. That, that is not yeah. ideal to be trying to figure out who you are when you've got eight games left in the, the regular season. Um, is there a redeeming quality for this Kentucky team outside of Oscar Shibway? And I guess even in asking that about Oscar Shibway, we have to take his pick-and-roll defense or lack thereof out of that equation with him. Yeah. Well, let me answer that in a couple of different ways. Number one is, I, I think, um, from a, from a, just a, a disruptive, uh, I asked Cal this today at shoot around. Have you ever had a year this disruptive in terms of the number of injuries that they've had to deal with in different times? So whether you're talking about Oscar Sheebway missing the first month of the season, uh, or, uh, the injuries that they've had to deal with, including leading up to this game, and who knows if we're going to see Wheeler or Frederick in this game. Um, college players get better in practice, and when you miss practice, like Kentucky has had so many players to do, it just makes it very difficult to find a rhythm in any kind of way. And I think because of that, um, they've really struggled getting better because they haven't had the same kind of lineup. Wallace has been great at the point. Antonio Reeves has been great as a playoff transfer. Sheebway's doing Sheebway things, and I think we tend to take that for granted. But because they've been so inconsistent off the court in terms of getting players to practice, I think that's translated to on the court. Maybe just a big-picture thought about the SEC, Mark, as we uh, have just a couple of minutes left. I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Last night we saw an Auburn team that has been in a bit of a free fall, a bit of a tailspin with a dominating win at home. Was that the get-right win for Auburn, or are there more serious concerns than just a one-off win? Well, I do think this. I think we made way too much about one win or one loss. So is that a get-right win? I don't know. I'll let you know in another week after they play a couple of more games. I think Bruce Pearl knew his schedule was going to catch up with him. He, he knew he kind of had the, the friendlier part of the opening of the SEC play, and he knew he was going to have tougher games coming down the back nine, if I can go ahead and, and continue the golf analogy. Um, I, again, uh, the Alabama-Tennessee game tonight is really outstanding, obviously. 
Yeah. I still think, yeah, again, if Tennessee wins, we're all going to write about how Alabama couldn't handle being number one. Well, that, that's not the way this works. So mm-hmm. every game has a life of its own, and that's why we, I, I just wish we would all like slow down before we evaluate how a team is playing. Vanderbilt wins again last night. Granted, it was against South Carolina. Is the yeah. least known best player in the SEC named Liam Roberts? I'm sorry, yeah. Liam Robbins. Liam Robbins, uh, a seven-footer who can make threes at the rate that he's making them now makes them um, just that much more difficult in terms of a team to play down the stretch. Um Again, this this is a league. I, I've said this all, Richard. You've heard me say this on the air when you and I've worked together. Defenses in this league are ahead of the offenses. This this has not been a great shooting season for no. the SEC in terms of depth of shooters. But man, the, the the lockdown defenders have really gotten much better than the knockdown shooters in, in terms of this season. So every game becomes kind of a grinded out half-court game, the teams that can find offense, and because of what Robbins is giving Vandy right now with that three-point threat, um, that's the reason why they've gotten better. There's no question about that. Yes, yes, you need a defensive presence. You need to be able to rebound. But if you want to make the difference in games coming down the stretch, you got to make shots. Mark, uh, producer in your ear, 15 seconds until the break. Tell me why Mississippi State can win tonight. Points off turnovers. I'm going to look at two things tonight. Second chance points, because that would tend to favor Kentucky and Oscar. Points off turnovers, which should uh, favor Mississippi State. Combine those two. Keep an eye on those two areas tonight. Could be a heck of a battle down low between Tolu Smith and Oscar Sheway. Mark, thanks hard so hat. much for your Hard yeah. hat. Bring your like hard it. hat tonight. Thanks for your time, Mark. We'll catch up soon. Mark Wise, college basketball analyst with the SEC Network and ESPN on the Farm Bureau guest line. Nothing brings people together and forms a lasting bond like sports. Sports Talk Mississippi. Covering your favorite teams like no one else. On the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. Kind of on the regular visit with John Harris from the Houston Texans. We might finish up those conversations and go, man, that was a football sandwich. That was a basketball sandwich with uh, with Mark Wise just uh, a few minutes ago, previewing Mississippi State and Kentucky tonight in Starkville at Humphrey Coliseum. 7.30 SEC Network, Mississippi State, a three-point favorite. Hey, Dad would tell you to take the under. It's 128.5. That trend finally ended on Saturday for Mississippi State is the overhit between the uh, the Razorbacks and the Bulldogs. Kentucky's seven and five in the league. Mississippi State's five and seven in the league. Borky, they've won five in a row. Ton of confidence. Good defense. Making some shots. Not taking too many perimeter shots, but when they get open looks, not only taking them but making them. What do you make of Mark's kind of breakdown of of this 
matchup. Yeah, the hard hat thing is is apt, right? Because despite State shooting well in Fayetteville, generally speaking, you, you can't expect a big offensive output. They don't score the basketball well. But when they go through Smith, they can. And they did that in Fayetteville. Sheboy's been picked on at multiple, basically all season. Uh, and so that that's a spot where they would have an advantage. But the, the hard hat thing's apt, man. It, Eric Musselman's a good coach, and his teams are always motivated, and they play well, and Fayetteville's a tough place to play. But my main takeaway from that game was, yeah, they, they shot well, and that helped, but they outworked Arkansas. They, they played, I mean, just tough defense. They did things like winning 50-50 balls that don't show up on a box score, so I can't point to and say, right there, there's the stat of loose balls that they dove on more. But it felt like they just they were tougher. And they outworked Arkansas. And Kentucky's a team that you can out-tough and outwork. The last time, I just, just a little, just, just, I'm thinking about this under thing. The under versus the over. So again, the total, what did I tell you it was, 128 and a half? Think so. The last time Kentucky played a game, that was under 128 and a half was against Vanderbilt. Wow. A game that they won 69-53, which is kind of crazy because it was in Nashville and Vanderbilt scores. But Vanderbilt shot it very, very poorly that night. And that may have been before Liam Robbins returned. I think it was before Liam Robbins returned for uh, for Vanderbilt. Sixty nine fifty three was the uh, the final in that one. But since then, in a loss to Kansas, wins over Ole Miss and Florida, and losses to Arkansas and Georgia, they have been well over one twenty eight and a half in all five of those games. So, eh, we'll see. It gives you a little something to think about with that number. Inside of 200 tickets left, by the way. Good. Should be a great crowd tonight. Should be. Should should be a fantastic. And look, I mean, if there are 500 empty seats inside that building, it's going to look packed. It's going to feel packed. It'll be loud. You know there's going to be a good student crowd tonight. It's going to be a tough environment for Kentucky and, and should be an environment that helps Mississippi State, especially, especially, if they make a shot or two early. Oh, yeah. Just juice it up like that? Oh, yeah. Four games tonight. Pretty de- Last night was not great. Tonight's decent. Ole Miss at Florida. That one tips off at 530. Florida's a 10-point favorite. Bama at Tennessee, where Tennessee is a three-point favorite. Kentucky at Mississippi State. Arkansas at Texas A&M. So you got Florida as a double-digit favorite. Uh, tonight, and the other three home teams are all favorites of three points, three and a half points or less. So we could have some good basketball tonight. And remember, we kind of like raised our eyebrows at the line yesterday for the Auburn-Missouri line, where Auburn was was favored by favored by six at home, I think it was. Something like that. Yeah, they jumped out to a 19-2 to lead, and then it was like 30-4, to and they won it by 33. I mean, just... Missouri didn't make shots. Auburn played really good defense last night. Made a ton of shots. Played fast. Got that arena going, and it was 
I mean, turn out the lights, the party's over for Mizzou. I don't know that that tells us anything about either of those teams, though. Because I still think Missouri's really good. And I still think Auburn's got issues, but we get a peek of what Auburn can be. It's a weird year in the SEC. Yeah, it's it has. It's, it's been an odd basketball season. And then you got Alabama rolling along at 12-0 and in the league, headed to Thompson Bowling, where they're going to be playing in front of 20,000 tonight. And a Tennessee team coming off two heartbreaking, buzzer-beating losses, one on the road and one at home last week. Not a bad backdrop to uh, lead into number one coming into your house. Sports Talk Mississippi, one hour in the books. When we come back, we will begin a three-part conversation with Ole Miss head baseball coach Mike Bianco on the Farm Bureau guest line. This is Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Pearl River Resort Studios. To the sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Sounds good. On Super Talk Mississippi. Four o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm, Supertalk TV, and the Pearl River Resort Studio. Sat down earlier today with Mike Bianco, long conversation. It's a three-part conversation, and it starts right now. This feels a little different than it uh, than it did a year ago. It's like things have changed just a bit. We've only talked once since uh, since June. I guess I should start again by saying congratulations on a, an incredible run a year ago. Well, I appreciate it, and so we're 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 a couple days from opening day, so I don't know when this is going to air. Uh, but yeah, uh, one of the things that uh, we've had a lot of congratul uh, congratulations and a lot of pats on the back, but I think Friday at four, you know, that all ends. You know, you can't say congratulations, you know, from the year before. So, uh, looking forward to Friday. I was going to ask you about about turning the page, and maybe that's the the best place to start. Um, you, you you want to soak it in. You, you want to celebrate. Fans want to celebrate. But if you go into a new season thinking about what you accomplished last year, that feels like it's probably a recipe for disaster. It is. Um, you know, I I don't know how you know an athlete in today's world or a coach in today's world would ever you know get to that point. Yeah, I think that's more for the fans. I think that's more for hey, they better focus on this year. Yeah, I don't know. You know, of course, you know what? What do you think we've been doing the last six months? Uh, uh, but one of the answers that to, to that question that I've said to, to several people is, uh, you know, it wasn't easy or it wasn't hard to turn the page when you walk into the first team meeting on whatever date that was, August twentieth, and uh, you look into the room. And 20 of the guys, 20 of the 40 guys sitting in that room weren't here last year. And, uh, you know, they came here to win their ring. You know, and when you go to the governor's mansion in the first week of November uh, to be honored, you know, the team that you've been coaching for three months, half of those guys didn't get on the bus, see, because they weren't on the team. You know, when you go to get recognized at halftime or walk through the grove of the Alabama football game, uh, these are all neat things and great things. But half the guys you've been coaching, you know, aren't part of that. And so, uh, you know, quickly, and I think that's what makes college athletics great, you know, that the, the teams change, that the new players uh, come in, new recruits, new transfers. And, you know, we, we've, you know, gosh, I'm sure your show has been covered up with Transfer Portal and NIL and all these other things that we talk about. Um, I think that we're in a, a time where uh, it's it, it should be 
easy to be able to put in a rearview mirror and move on. But we tried to challenge ourselves as well as to not take that away from the fans or the players that were part of that or to the coaches, but give it its place, you know, and its place isn't in your everyday life, you know, 24 uh, seven. But it's good to have you know, great memories. And but how can we use that to help us you know, you know become a better baseball program? So uh, I, that, that was a long answer, probably longer than I meant it to be. But the truth is, you know, I don't think anybody's you know thinking about you know last year right now i realize asking you to reflect on last june when you're two days from opening day maybe is a little bit unfair to you so forgive me for that um but (laughs) but here we go so you finish the college world series you get usa baseball immediately after that and and you just dive right into it when was the moment that you finally sat down on your back porch had dinner with your wife and and just kind of took a deep breath and reflected um you know uh first of all don't don't ever feel sorry for me i live a great life and i've been very blessed and fortunate so uh but it was a busy busy summer and to you know uh winning the championship uh and then two days later going to carry north carolina you know that that was that was hard physically probably mentally and emotionally uh there's a lot worse things in life and uh and so uh i i don't really know the exact time and probably the best way to answer it is it probably was in different you know uh layers you know like the you know, peeling back an onion as they say um I mean, sure, there was times, you know, probably, you know, that night, uh, you know, that we won the championship. Uh, but there's different moments. I think, you know, everybody, when you have these great moments in your life, there's different things that you remember and, and things that you didn't, you forget. And then somebody reminds you of, you know, uh, so now just thinking about them, thinking about how cool the parade was, how cool it was to have so many people here on that Wednesday night, uh, that 15 minutes later, we were on a jet flying to North Carolina. But before that, you're sitting here, you know, Amongst you know seven thousand Ole Miss fans, you know, in a in a celebration at our stadium. So there was so many you know cool moments, and uh, but probably the breather part of it was probably mid August. You know, when we got back, we uh, from the Netherlands. Uh, a lot of a lot of visits, a lot of recruiting visits because I'd been gone, you know, and and so not just being gone for the USA team, we planned on that, but we were gone the whole month of June. We were gone from May, basically middle of May, you know. <laughs> uh, at one point, I think Cami and I counted uh, at least me personally, and you know, the, uh, I uh, in the past whatever fifty two days, you know, only forty one days were or, or forty one days were spent on the road of 51 days so only home 10 days and so yeah um but it's a it was a good busy you know we've been busy even through the fall but it's been a good busy yeah it's interesting i i I would think that you've gotten lots of anecdotes from fans or people that you've talked to so the first Ole Miss baseball game i went to was in 1989 the first year of the new stadium the first game that i broadcast was your first year had season tickets as a kid, like use my grass cutting money mm-hmm. to to buy season tickets, and randomly since the College World Series, I've had moments where I'm like, "Did that really happen? Like that was unbelievable." And then to take it a step farther, it's like, "Okay, I've been doing this since I was nine years old, but I got to share that moment with all three of my kids mm-hmm. who love going to baseball as well." And it's like there are these family ties that that kind of go through generations, whether it's 
grandfathers and sons or dads and daughters or dads and sons or cousins or whatever. It, it, it really is. I don't even know if there's a question there other than just it's kind of it's kind of surreal to think about what happened and, and kind of ha- what all had gone into that. Well, I, I, w- I will tell you that one of the coolest things, uh, and Cammie said it over and over, uh, is to hear people's stories, to hear people's stories of how they got to Omaha. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I remember a story uh, of, a, I, I think, a, a woman and her father, I'm going to guess, was probably in his 70s or 80s. And it was her, his birthday coming up. And she said, hey, when, when we beat Arkansas in the semifinals and get to the championship, she said, hey, do you want to go to Omaha? You know, we'll jump in a car and we'll drive and we'll get there. And, and he's like, ah, nah, it's going to be too difficult. And, you know, nah, I don't want to do that. We'll watch it on TV. Much easier. We'll enjoy it here. And then the next morning he calls her at 6 a.m. and says, hey, listen, let's go to Omaha. And so they jumped in a car and drove to Omaha and watched the, the national, the two, you know, the national championship series. And there's so many stories like that. So many stories of fathers, sons, fathers, daughters, um, how they got there, you know, all their mishaps along the way, flights being canceled uh it's it's really it's been really cool to hear all the people reminiscing about you know their experiences and i and i think that was one of the things when people said hey did you know winning that did, 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 what you know motions anything different I, I think that's one part of it is just you know listening to everybody how much you know it meant to everybody uh and hearing their journey you know along the way so that's been really cool and and then there were stories even within your team like T.J. McCants, whose mother hangs on for dear life to be able to see her son and and said, you're going to play in Omaha, and then she got to see that. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, for yeah, your listeners that don't realize, you know, TJ's mom was diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago when he was a freshman towards the end of his uh, freshman year. Uh, there was a time last year during the season that they didn't think she would make it. She came up here basically to say goodbye to him uh, and couldn't make it through the weekend. And uh, he flew home that week uh, to be with her and then flew back uh, the next weekend to meet us in Arkansas. I think in his very first at bat, he hit a home run at uh, at Arkansas on the road. Um, and, uh, yes, yeah, she made it to, to Omaha. And uh, just really cool, really cool to, um, you know, moment, obviously, for, for him that he'll, he'll never forget. But, I mean, uh, you start to realize that, you know, even though we won a championship and, you know, uh, how many cool things that at the end of the day it's just a baseball game. Yeah. Mike, is that the and, – and we'll kind of turn the page after this to, to this year's team – is that the thing that maybe fans lose sight of is the the family piece that goes in with being part of a team and having guys around you that can kind of help you through the bad times in addition to being able to celebrate the good times? Wow. Tough, deep question. Um, I think my answer would be probably some fans. You know, they, they want to win so much and, you know, you're kind of oblivious to all the work and all the things, all the blood, sweat and tears that go into it. Uh, maybe, maybe to some people, but, you know, um, I, I don't think the majority. You know, I think the majority uh, appreciates. They appreciate these kids. They appreciate how hard they work. They appreciate the coaches. Uh, they appreciate the grounds crew and everything that goes into making a baseball game. Yeah, there's there's always going to be that uh, uh, segment, you know, that, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, 
tend to be miserable, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, but that's in everyday life, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and that's unfortunate, but I, I think most people realize, you know, that these are regular kids. They go to class. They, um, they, they have tough things. They, they have moms die of cancer. They have parents that the divorce, they break up with their girlfriend, you know, two hours before a game. Uh, um, they're regular people, you know, uh, the coaches are regular people and, uh, you know, uh, but I, I think I, I think in my heart I could be wrong. I think most people get that. Now back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Say that again, please, sir. Now back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Sorry, poorly timed joke, completely inappropriate. On Super Talk Mississippi. Continuing our conversation with Mike Bianco, head baseball coach at Ole Miss, as we uh, get set for the start of the 2023 season. So no more questions about last year, or at least for now. Um, So turning the page to this team, uh, there are familiar faces that are coming back, maybe even more than people realize, but a lot of new faces that are are rolling in as well as you begin kind of the start of a new journey. What what is the message to your team? You kind of go with a theme each year. Uh, so maybe let's start there, kind of what you're doing theme-wise with this team. Um, you know, what we, uh, as we talked about it, just going into the fall, you know, how, how do we use, you know, the, this championship uh, to better us? You know, not with pats on the back to feel good, but how do we how do we use it recruiting-wise? How do we use it, you know, uh, you know, with this this existing team and so on? So there's a lot of different ideas and not to get, you know, too much into the weeds and, you know, a lot that I probably don't want to share on the air. Um, but one of the things that I thought was important uh, because this is a good mix. This is a good mix of returners. We return five of the starting nine in Omaha. Uh, we, we return uh, several pieces, you know, on the mound. Uh, but then you also welcome in the number two ranked recruiting class. You welcome in, you know, three or four transfers that I think will impact the program immediately. And uh, all of those things are good. But let's not lose sight, you know, of our foundation and who who we are and and how we got here. Um, and so, you know, we talked a lot about you know our core covenants, but uh, which is you know Rebs being relentless, excellence, belief, and selfless. But at the I think the core of the core covenants, if you will, is excellence. You know, being at your best every single day. You know, fundamentally sound. Just you know, you know, um, doing the things that you need to do and doing them at, to to to. Uh, uh, the best of your ability. And uh, so the uh, book that we read over the break was a book that we kind of recycled. We read it a few years ago called The Compound Effect. It's it's actually a kind of a self-improvement book by Darren Hardy, who was uh, the longtime editor of Success Magazine. And uh, for those that, that you know, read uh, or, you know, looking for a good kind of self-help book, it's really, it's not for athletes. It's for everybody. It's really, you know, for, you know, business people. But uh, it's just really, I think, black and white how to be successful in anything. If you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to make money, if you're trying to uh, be a good athlete, and um, and so that that was kind of the uh, the theme. I think all fall and going into the spring is just trying to be the very best that you can be every single day. You're going to roll Hunter Elliott out there, uh, I assume, on on opening day. Um, 
kind of etched his name into into history because of the way he pitched, not just because of the stage, but because of how he pitched in big games. How will he be different in in year two as a as a starter, maybe than he was as a freshman? But because usually there is a learning curve. Yeah, you know, um, I think you know, there's one breath that you, you want to say, hey, you don't really have to be different. You know, don't think that you have to. I think uh, everybody's built a little different. You know, and 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 what motivates them and what makes them better. Uh, obviously, everybody wants to improve and get better, but sometimes. Um, you know, more is less, you know, and, uh, you know, trying to be too much or put too much on you. Uh, he's a great, great competitor. It's one of the reasons that he had so much success as a freshman and, as you mentioned, on the biggest stage. And so, uh, I, I don't think that is a, uh, uh, a worry from any of us. I think that's one of the things that we feel better about this pitching staff than last year in a sense that last year, even though Diamond had returned as a starter, uh, you know, he had never been the Friday night guy and even though Hunter didn't he pitched on some really big stages and he pitched against you know on those big stages against other people's number one and so um, and then he pitched internationally one he was on the mound he was a starter in the bronze medal game against Japan um, you know uh, he's a guy that can handle it so I don't think that's a worry for any of us specifically you know what what to improve on we we worked um, uh, and he worked you know with coach Lafferty um, uh, uh, very hard on improving his breaking ball we thought that if you look at his game, the one area that he needs to improve on is probably his breaking pitch. Got an outstanding fastball, outstanding changeup, um, uh, but probably an average breaking ball at best, you know. Uh, and so, uh, kind of combined both the slider and the curve to to be more of just a slider. Uh, and I think that'll help him, you know, against left-handed hitters this year. And so, specifically, if you're getting to the nuts and bolts, that that's it. Uh, the other thing is for all the guys, not just Hunter. How do you accept that leadership role? How do you accept, uh, you know, it wasn't a secret that, you know, we had the success last year only because we had great leaders. And, uh, now it's time for those, those batons from Bench and Elko and Graham and Diamond and Chofi and all the guys last year that held it together, uh, handed to a new crew of guys, guys like Elliot and, uh, Doherty and, yeah, Gonzalez and Harris and Alderman and yeah, McCants and all those guys that you know didn't really have to play that role last year. They just had to be you know better baseball players. Now they they got to be better ba- baseball players that are leaders. What about this pitching staff as a whole? Um, you got a, a a freshman that that people are raving about in, in Grayson Saulnier, a transfer in Xavier Rivas that maybe people haven't seen before, or don't know about if they haven't been to practices or, or fall ball or any of those things. But but just kind of the staff as a whole, you know, we we feel good about it. You know, it's it's not one of those staffs where we woke up, you know, a few years ago in 2021 where you re- returned to Casey and Hoagland and two SEC starters that were dominant, two guys that you know probably are going to be first or second rounders. You know, when when June comes along, along with a, a guy that pitched as a freshman and Derek Diamond and you know Taylor Broadway in the bullpen and some pieces that were kind of already set and you're just trying to find you know the pieces that connect to them yeah with this this a little more in depth but I don't think as much as last year I think last year you know there was a there was you know even though we felt like we had some talent and on, on the staff we just didn't know where those pieces you know would fall and so we just entered the the the, the spring uh hoping you know that some guys would accept some roles and, and do well and um and I think we got fooled a little bit. Not so much uh, 
once we got through, we won our first nine games last year, but, you know, and we 10 run ruled, I think, five of our first seven games or four of our first six games. Uh, so we were feeling probably pretty good about ourselves. Um, but we knew in this office that, you know, we, we weren't pitching as dominantly as we needed to, you know, once conference play started. And, you know, and, you know, that, that, uh, uh, reared its ugly head pretty quickly, you know, in conference that, you know, we were going to struggle on the mound. And once that went, you know, uh, we didn't hit it as well either. Um, and so I think we feel better about the pieces of this, this, this team on the mound and last year's team. Uh, and I say this, you know, in the office because people forget because we talk, you know, we beat up last year's pitching staff. It just took us a long time to figure it out. Yeah. Once we figured it out, we were pretty good. <laughs> and, you know, we realized that, you know, we ended up fourth in the conference in pitching. If you're in the top four in the SEC in pitching, you're pretty good. And so now it took us, you know, 60 games to figure that out. But once we figured it out, we're pretty good. So hopefully we'll figure it out a little quicker this year. It might save a little heartburn along the way. Um, visiting with Mike Bianco, Jacob Gonzalez. So he has the, the freshman All-American season. He was good a year ago. Numbers were down a little bit. He had that stretch in the postseason where it's like he just couldn't find a hit. And then at the very end, he comes up with these just massive hits, you know, one after another. And he gets, I guess there was a home run that was mixed in there as well. What do you say about him in this line of shortstops that you've had that have been so good now in his third year? He's been an everyday starter since he stepped on campus. (laughs) Well, he's a superstar. And, uh, and, you know, really the only number that was down last year was his batting average. He hit about 270, but he, he hit 18 or 19 home runs. Um, he walked like 20 or 30 more times than he struck out. Um, uh, I think he ended up making like 12 or 14 errors, but he may have made three errors in Omaha. And so, like, you know, you're talking about a guy that made around 10 errors at shortstop at, you know, a very difficult position. Um, that's why he's by most, you know, major league, you know, draft prognosticators, he's picked in the top five of, you know, of the guys that are going to be selected, you know, in the major league draft this summer. So with all that being said, uh, he's a star. And, uh, you know, I think cut out of the mold of a lot of the other great ones, Cozart and Kessinger and Robinson and a lot of guys that, you know, Servideo, um, uh, he would hold his own against any of those. But, uh, um, yeah, a guy that's, uh, I think, just a, a superstar and has showed it, you know, throughout not just his two years here. I mean, he's been a shortstop for the USA national team, you know, for two years in a row. Uh, just uh, just really good, you know, just a really good defender. Um uh, and just an excellent hitter, a kid that will hit for power, uh, will hit for average. Um, just uh, I'm glad he's wearing our uniform. That was part two of our conversation with uh, Mike Pianko. Did that in his office earlier this morning with the national championship trophy just right there in the uh, in the backdrop. We've got more coming up with uh, with Mike Bianco. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this team, but then kind of get into some big picture stuff. He talks in detail about some of the, the rule changes with clocks that we uh, we discussed yesterday on the show and also kind of a, uh, a final outlook about the, the health of college baseball as you look all across the country. Part three of our conversation with Mike Bianco on the other side of this timeout. Richard Cross, Michael Borky with you in the Pearl River Resort Studio on this Wednesday afternoon. We'll be back right after this.
Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. How do you like that? I love it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Mike Bianco joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Here's part three of our conversation. There's some changes to the rules this year in, in college baseball. And yesterday on the show, we, we went through some of these. I know you've talked about them a, a little bit, but with, with clocks, right? I mean, we're not used to seeing clocks in baseball other than maybe on top of the scoreboard, and it's one of those big, pretty clocks. Um, there's been a clock on the, the outfield wall for a few years that's largely been ignored, but this seems to be a point of emphasis, pitch clock, uh, pitching change clock, you know, 30 seconds here, 20 seconds here, two and a half minutes here. Give us kind of your overview. Is this a big deal? How's it going to affect the game? Is it going to be a, a positive effect, net positive long term? Well, just one, I guess, in general, so fans can just take a deep breath, that the whole goal for the NCAA, which I agree, is, and they've been pushing this for, for a long time, uh, because of TV, because of fans, supposedly, uh, that they want to make the game faster. You know, they, 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 they cringe at a four hour baseball game or a three and three hour and 42 minute baseball game. Um, you know, some people enjoy that. They, they, they want to sit there and watch all the, you know, the, uh, minute things that happen during a game. And, and I get that. Uh, but, but for, to make it more digestible for more fans, to make it more digestible for TV and ESPN and SEC network to fit it into the time schedules are trying to make the game faster. So how do you do that without changing the game, without making it a seven inning game, without playing two outs in an inning, without changing a bat? So people laugh and go, Oh, well, we'll never do that. Well, we change the bats and, you know, to try to make the game faster, you know, so uh, be careful what you think won't ever happen. Um, but their goal was like Major League Baseball and taking kind of an, uh, uh, a couple pages from their script was how can we make the game faster in the dead time? So when there's nothing being played, how can we speed up the game that won't won't necessarily affect the game or give anybody an advantage? And so those are in between innings, those are in between pitches, those are in between pitching changes and so on. So I don't know if you went through them, but some of the ones that people will be new to. So there will be a clock in, in you know on all the SEC fields. And the rules that I'm going to give you are SEC rules. Some of them are NCAA rules, some of them aren't, but they're all SEC rules where uh, the, the coach only has 30 seconds from the time he leaves the dugout uh, to go speak to, to a pitcher, uh, to make a pitching change or to just speak to him. So the clock starts once he you know gets to, you know, leaves the dugout, he has to leave the mound by 30 seconds. So you don't have the somebody thinking that the coach is wasting time and it's kind of subjective how long he's allowed to be out there. So, so will you now jog to the mound as opposed to walking? I haven't decided yet. I, I don't know. I, I haven't practiced. That's probably the one thing of the clock we haven't practiced. We'll see. I, I, I will be keeping track of the time, though. Um, two and a half minutes from a time that you make a pitching change. So once you signal to the bullpen and the, and the, the relief pitcher enters the field of play onto the warning track, he has two and a half minutes. Um, 30 seconds in between hitters and 20 seconds in between pitches, including with base runners. The difference in last year is last year, once a guy started his uh, set, 
set motion. So as once he got the signal and started to put his hands together and come set, the clock would stop. And that's why there was so much when you stepped off, you had to feint the throw. You can't just step off because that you have to restart the clock again. And that would just you know kind of nullify the rule if you could come set and then step off. And so if you're trying to delay the game. So that's why they tried to put that in. Uh, this year, There is uh, you're allowed to step off. You're allowed to feint the throw. But if you do step off or feint the throw with a runner on base, it's called a reset, and you get one reset per hitter. And so if you do it a second time, it's an automatic ball. The other big thing is when you come set, the clock doesn't stop. It doesn't stop until you actually go to deliver the ball to the plate, and you have 20 seconds to do that. So if you're holding the ball and the pitcher's not really paying attention, kind of like a, a play clock in football or a shot clock in basketball, if he doesn't deliver the pitch in 20 seconds, it's a ball. They'll call timeout and give it a ball. Uh, these times are kind of hardcore press times, unlike the clocks that you were talked about. That did help speed up the game. Because it made uh, umpires conscious of how much time it took Ole Miss to get back out on the field or Vanderbilt. If they were taking too much time, you could have an umpire run over and say, hey, you guys got to speed it up or whatnot. Now these are hardcore where there's going to be a ball called. And so, um, and the umpires are pressed to, to enforce the rules. It's not their fault. They didn't make the rules. It, they are what they are. So, you know, over the last month, you know, we've, we've, kind of trained and worked hard to hopefully not make it a problem. You said, will it be a problem? You know, um, our goal is for it to be a problem for somebody else, for us to be able to play within the rules, you know, that they state and try to do it comfortably and be able to play the game. There are some good strike zones out there. There are some less than good strike zones that are out there as well. For for an umpire who already has plenty on his plate, is this asking them to do too much more to focus on too much beyond what's happening between the the chalk lines? No, because it won't be that umpire that's making the call. It'll be the third base umpire, you know. Uh, and so the third base umpire is in charge of the clock. The yeah. guy that probably has the least you know, amount of responsibility out there. Um, so there, there's four of them out there. So you know they they should be able to you know take care of that. So no, I you know I disagree with that. I, I think you know it's more for them to know and responsibilities. But uh, uh, you know at, at the end of the day, you know uh, again they don't make the rules. They're they're there to enforce them. Two more things for you. One, is college baseball healthy or and, – and if yes, is it healthier than it's been in a long time? Oh, I think so. Uh, you know, I think we continue to grow. Um, uh, when you, you, you look at all the variables that I would think uh, that you would – Try to objectively grade it, like where 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 we are now, where we were ten years from, you know ago, or five years ago, or twenty years ago. When you look at the facilities, when you look at the attendance, when you look at you know the money that's being spent by athletic departments, the TV coverage, the streaming, um, um, I think it's as healthy as it's ever been, uh, um, and it, it's it's great. It's great to be a part of. I think it's a great time when you look at you know our conference, but not just our conference, all the you know, conferences around the country. When you look at the College World Series and, um, you know, what, what a neat experience. And so many people that went to Omaha, you know, talking, they, they've never been. And talk about, you know, what an experience, you know, they've been to so many bowl games and NCAA basketball tournaments, but that was their greatest sporting event ever. You know, I heard that time and time again. Um, no, I think college baseball is uh, continuing to grow, and that's a good thing. Last thing, I was um, talking to a basketball coach at a shoot-around last week. Uh, this is a guy, and I, and I was trying to be gentle. I said, you are notoriously 
regimented. And he goes, no, I'm OCD. I was like, okay, you said it, not me. I said, but you're playing really well right now. You've won 11 of your last 13. Are you allowing yourself to enjoy it along the way? And he said he's trying. He, he said, my wife reminds me of that all the time, but I see the big picture, and I don't know if my guys do or whatever. So modification of that question National championship in the rearview mirror, start of a new season. There's so much to focus on and worry about. The SEC's a grind. Do you allow yourself consciously to enjoy the journey? Um, I think that's kind of a, a, a trick question uh, going into that you just won a national championship last year and you're two days away from you know starting the season. I think I've tried to do what I've always done. I think probably if I'm honest over time, I've, I've learned to, um, I don't, I wouldn't call myself OCD. My wife may, but I, I wouldn't call myself OCD. Um, but I'm, I'm a guy that's uh, routine oriented, a guy that tries to be excellent, a guy that, um, has a, a routine himself and a system and the way we go about things in this program. And everybody in, you know, this office, everybody in that locker room understands that and thinks that's the reason that we have success. It's been really, I think, my job individually, personally, to decide what things matter and what things don't. You know, what things are going to help us win uh, and what things, you know, control what you can control, right? Uh, worry about the things that, you know, that are going to matter and help us win. The other things try to let slide. That's hard for people that are built like me and maybe that coach. But I think as you get older, you get wiser, you start to realize that. So it's not caring less. It's caring less about the things that don't matter, you know, and, and that's where everybody thinks, Hey, you know, the, the coaches are getting old, you know, that, that coach is getting older and he's getting, you know, easier on the team or, you know, he's changing his ways. He's probably getting wiser to the things that, you know, don't matter as much. So I'm going to let that slide. I think that's part. What everybody does, not just coaches, but adults and, you know, grandfathers and, you know, everybody starts to realize what's really important and what's not. So I don't think it's, hey, did I enjoy? I enjoyed coaching when I was 30. Um, uh, but a lot more things bothered me probably when I was 30 than they bother me now. Thanks so much for your time. <laughs> You're welcome. That's Mike Bianco, head baseball coach at Ole Miss on the heels of a national championship and rolling into the start of a new year. If you missed any of that conversation, you can get it on demand at supertalk.fm, and certainly it will be a part of the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast, which you can get wherever you get your podcasts. Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you in part by M-Trade Park. You can find them online at mtradepark.com. Go there and click on the Schedule tab, and you'll see all of the events that are coming up. I was talking with uh, some of the folks at M-Trade. They've got a couple of massive weekends that are on the way. Uh, the weekend of March 3rd, U-Triple-S-A Baseball Tournament. They've got 148 teams that are already registered for that. Over 100 teams that are coming in for a, uh, a tournament in the third week of March. So if you're involved in scheduling, whether you're a coach or an assistant coach or the general manager of a 10U team or maybe just a parent who's involved and helping out with scheduling, be sure to check out the uh, full schedule at M-Trade Park. It's not just for baseball. You've got fast-pitch tournaments and soccer tournaments as well. Just remember, if you're going to play, play M-Trade, mtradepark.com. We'll wrap up the 4 o'clock hour with you coming up next on Sports Talk Mississippi. Every time I look around, it's in my face. Okay. Let's go to the 
Junction, in the Grove, and to the top. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. My thanks to Mike Diego for spending about a half an hour with me this morning to uh, do a long interview. It's uh, several years in a row we've been uh, we've been able to do that. Uh, a week or so prior to the start of the season, he's always uh, gracious with his time. I am happy to tell you that uh, all three uh, Division One coaches in Mississippi have agreed to do uh, the Monday interviews with us again this year. So we'll be visiting on Mondays in the three o'clock hour with uh, Scott Berry from Southern Miss in the 4 o'clock hour with uh, Chris Lamonis from Mississippi State and in the 5 o'clock hour with Mike Bianco from Ole Miss each Monday throughout the course of the season after the uh, the previous weekend's games. Uh, all three have been just fantastic with, uh, with their time and doing those interviews over the last few years. And I think it's something that you enjoy a lot and uh, it's certainly something that we enjoy and look forward to as well. I mean, our setup is unique in this state, obviously. But that is also extremely unique in this state. Yeah, it's really cool. Ain't nobody else doing that. Yeah. And I wish there was a way that we could do that during football season as well. I mean, yeah. it would be great if, you know, on Mondays following the weekend or Tuesdays following the week, Mondays probably would be the day to do it. You know, if we could if we could talk with Will Hall and Zach Arnett and Lane Kiffin each week, but uh, football is a little bit different uh, animal. And uh, I'm... Very appreciative that uh, all three baseball coaches have been kind with their time and their schedule to uh, to do that. We got a message on the ceasefire text line asking asking if the Ole Miss game um, would be on television and if they would carry the championship celebration pregame and all those things. And the answer to that's no, but it will be streaming on the SEC Network Plus as most all of the games that you watch are. The SEC released its TV schedule. You do not have. College baseball from SEC teams on the SEC network until Sunday, March 5th. Uh, there's a doubleheader that day with Miami and Florida playing each other and Georgia Tech and Georgia playing each other. Um, conference play, television. And, and by the way, n- nobody really cares my opinion. I think the SEC Network is missing out big time in not carrying at least one midweek game every week. Because everybody in the SEC plays a Tuesday game or a Wednesday game each week. And a lot of those matchups, now, you don't usually have good matchups all across the league, but there's usually an interesting matchup that's happening on a Tuesday night somewhere in the SEC, and it wouldn't be hard to do that because all of these teams are streaming their games anyway. Even if you don't send announcers, just just take the digital announcers, the the local announcers, and plug that in. But that's not my decision. When league play gets started, which is the weekend of March sixteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth, Ole Miss Vanderbilt and Alabama Florida both on Thursday night on TV. Let me just give you the Ole Miss games and the state games that are going to be on on television. Um, two from the Ole Miss Vanderbilt series Thursday and Saturday, one on ESPNU, one on SEC Network. Mississippi State, Kentucky opening weekend will be in uh, Lexington on the SEC Network, the Sunday game. Um, South Carolina at Mississippi State on Thursday night, March 30th, is an SEC Network game. 
Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Saturday, April 1st is an SEC Network game. Uh, there are a couple of wild card weekends that are uh, are mixed in there as well, so that could change. Mississippi State, Alabama, uh, the Saturday game is on ESPNU, so that's a night game in, in Tuscaloosa. Ole Miss at Mississippi State on Saturday, April 15th, will be on the SEC Network. Uh, LSU at Ole Miss, the Saturday game, so the middle game of that series will be on ESPN2. So you get two streaming that weekend, and then one that's on ESPN2. Uh, Mississippi State at Tennessee, uh, two of the three games that weekend. So the Thursday night game, Mississippi State at Tennessee, and the Saturday game will be uh, on television. Ole Miss, Missouri on Thursday night. Okay. Guess they got to put some uh, some Missouri games on uh, on TV. So Ole Miss at Missouri on a Thursday night. Yeah, they kind of spread it around. Um, ooh, Saturday night in Starkville, Arkansas and Mississippi State on May 6th. That'll be great. Auburn at Ole Miss on a Thursday night on ESPNU. Mississippi State at LSU on a Friday night on SEC Network. Uh, that's it. So not a ton. I would love to know what the numbers are. Uh, because you already have, I mean, every game is quote-unquote aired. It's just on a stream, right? It's it's online. It's through an app or whatever. It, is the third iteration of SEC now with Dari Noka sitting on some comfy chair talking about previewing spring practice in Lexington with some other guy really doing better than live sports? I mean, shouldn't your spring weekends just be filled with live sports? You already broadcast them all. It's not an expense thing. Just pick up the feed. That's all you got to yeah. do. I don't, I don't understand the programming choices unless it is just a better draw to have six hours straight of Dari Noka saying the same thing once an hour. And Dari's really good at his job. Oh, but, yes, and I met yeah, him once, yeah. and he was great. But yeah, super guy. It's a one-hour um, replay six hours in a row. I mean, you've got so much softball that's going on and so much baseball that's going on. I, I'm with you. I think Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday – it ought to be wall-to-wall baseball and softball yep. on the SEC Network. And even if and you gymnastics. delay some of them, even if you don't take all of them live, yeah, go, go back and air them on a delay overnight. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Hey, guys. What's happening? What the heck are you doing? Sports Talk Mississippi on your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. <laughs> Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resorts, the home of the sports book at the Golden Moon Casino. You can learn more online at PearlRiverResort.com. Richard Cross and Michael Borky. Hey, Dad. Uh, found out today that he's got the vid, and so he uh, will return with us on Monday. I think yeah, I think he's planning to do a podcast on Sunday, and then uh, will return with us on Sports Talk Mississippi on Monday. Uh we hope he feels just fine and that it's uh, an easy and quick recovery. 
If you want to be a part of the conversation, we'd love to hear from you on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Want to give your business the edge? Excuse me, the edge? Sorry for the hiccup. Get gigabit fiber internet from C Spire Business. It's backed by world-class IT professionals who live where you do. That's right here in C Spire country. Online, you can find them at uh, cspire.com slash business. Uh, college football fix, what do you say? Truck month at your Mississippi Ford dealers. Test drive the Ford F-150 or the all-new Super Duty or the Ranger or the Maverick. If you like the pickup style as opposed to the full-size truck, Ford F-Series is America's best-selling line of trucks for 46 straight years. You can get into one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. So, Borky, where are we going today? College football fix. What are we going to do? So, I know this isn't uh, an SEC story, but if we're being totally honest, there aren't many right now. But this is something, uh, which is a good thing, I suppose, because if your team right now is in the news, that is not a good thing. Because nothing is happening right now. So if your team's in the news, not good. No Ole Miss news other than we talked about yesterday. Kevin Smith returning as the running backs coach to Ole Miss. And I saw a lot of A&M people getting super excited about uh, you know, the the prospect of having Quinshawn Judkins running backs coach at A&M. Kevin Smith is the guy that recruited the kid. So anyway, it just... That's the kind of college football news you're getting right now is blind optimism from people that spent, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to go five and seven. Anyway, the Pac-12 is currently going. By the way, Ole Miss made Kevin Smith official uh, earlier today. We, we knew yesterday that it was official. It was a deal that got done quickly. Yeah, two days ago they got the news that Markel um, Blackwell was leaving to go to Texas A&M. Yesterday, they got it done quickly on uh, on Kevin Smith. Not a lot of drama on that deal. And so he makes the uh, return to the place that he coached for two seasons and reunites with Lane Kiffin, who he was with at FAU, and then at Ole Miss for two years before going to Miami. Yeah, and Kiffin, because he tweets a lot, tweeted, uh, the grass isn't always greener. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, I'm sure they've, they've got some nice grass in, in Miami, though. Uh, sorry, Gallo. That was a marijuana joke. But uh, one of the power <laughs> uh, Paul's in bed anyway. Um, the, uh, the, so there's a Power 5 conference that just got raided by expansion. USC, UCLA off to the Big Ten. Doesn't make any sense, but that's what happened. The Big Twelve uh, just expanded. They are on the. They are aggressive in expansion themselves. Apparently, they are very public. We're going to add more teams. We're going to add more teams. We're about to get a TV deal, and it sounds like that one's actually moving in the appropriate direction. And then there's the Pac-12. It was announced, not announced, but it was broken earlier today that CBS and Turner have pulled out of the Pac-12's media rights negotiations, as of this moment, nobody's willing to pay what they are asking for. No one's willing to come anywhere close to what they were expected to pay. They are in trouble relative to their competition in the Power Five right now 
with expansion, with the Big 12 probably trying to poach multiple teams from there, and nobody wanting to buy the rights to their games. It is tough on the West Coast right now. Yeah, so Brett McMurphy with the report that CBS and Turner are no longer involved in the negotiations, significant because previously it was reported that CBS was in the mix to be one of the major networks the Pac-12 could get a deal done with. Uh, CBS and Turner no longer involved. There has been no good news for the Pac-12 in terms of its media rights deal. And look, the the longer that they don't get a deal done, the longer the window stays open for one of the the existing Pac-12 or multiple of the existing Pac-12 teams to say, you know what, we think we might be happier elsewhere. The Athletic indicated that the Pac-12's financial requests to its potential TV partners could be off by roughly... $100 $100 million. Whew. George Klyavkov reportedly wants annual payouts to be at least $40 million, but the ceiling might be only just north of $30 million. The Athletic reported, quote, today, it's uncertain whether the Pac-12 will even be able to exceed the $31.6 million average the Big 12 reportedly landed in a new six-year extension with ESPN Fox and Fox that it reached last fall which makes the Big 12 a player if somebody wants to make the jump, right? I mean, I don't know how feasible Oregon to the Big 12 is, but how feasible is West Virginia to the Big 12? But if you're Oregon, seemingly got unlimited funds there uh, with, with Nike backing them, but are you on a sinking ship or not? That That's a question that all of these members of that league are going to have to ask themselves now. Are we on a sinking ship? Because the Big 12 ship... Not as nice as the Big Tens or the SECs. They've got, like, six-mast sailboats. Man, they are beautifully painted and colorful and flags waving off the back, and they are awesome. The Big 12 just has three. Nice-looking brand-new sails. But our boat's taking on water, isn't it? Or is that just rain that's collected at the bottom? they got to figure that out. Very bad analogy, but... Yeah, I get what you're saying, though. And, and, you know, you're, you're betting on the unknown. And you're betting on the unknown at multiple levels, right? You, you're, you're betting on the unknown of what ESPN and or Fox and or CBS, Turner, NBC, Apple, YouTube, Prime Video, Amazon, all of those. You're betting on the unknown of what they're willing to spend, but you're also betting on the unknown of the ability of your commissioner to navigate those waters. Remember George Klyovkov kind of came in and he was highly thought of in sports business circles, uh, had a lot of, I mean, the reason he got that job was because of his background in negotiating deals and working in the entertainment landscape. He'd worked at Major League Baseball, at NBC, at Hulu, at A&E, with MGM Resorts International. So he had worked in the entertainment space, but not specifically in the college sports space. 
Pac-12 took a little bit of a gamble, right, when they, they hired Brett Yorman, Yormark, whatever. And his background was on the agency side of things with what? Rock Nation, I think, is where he was. And he has been very brash, very out there, and is, has kind of delivered. And think, Borky, about the, the decision that the, the Big 12 made. It right? was Rock Nation, you were correct. So, the Big 12 got punched in the gut with the announcement that Texas and OU were, were leaving. But they didn't pretend like they didn't get punched in the gut. Yeah, They were in a slight position of strength in terms of we're going to get some money from Texas and OU leaving. And they were willing to hold on to those cards until just recently they're going to get $100 million out of the deal. That's a lot of money. And they're going to distribute that to their legacy schools, the eight schools that remain. But they also didn't pretend to be something that they weren't in the immediate aftermath of getting punched in the gut. They felt bad, maybe privately shed some tears, and then they went to work and they're like, okay, how can we sustain? How can we become viable again? We're not going to replace Texas and OU, so what can we do? They went out and they got BYU and Cincinnati and UCF, and Houston. Does that make them what they were with Texas and OU? Of course not. But it stabilized things. And then they did a new media deal. Is it as much as the big boys? No. Their schools are getting $31.6 million a year. They can bank on that. We'll pick this up next. Sports Talk Mississippi. I can't believe what I'm hearing. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Right here. On Super Talk Mississippi. All right, so I want to finish the thought from uh, before the break. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk brought to you in part by Genteel Apparel. You can find them online at genteelapparel.com. Genteel has men's specialty stores all across the state of Mississippi. Where you can uh, you can you can buy their stuff in person. You can touch it, feel it, try it on if you need to. Make sure the fit is just right. You can do that at Kincaid's in the uh, Jackson Metro area, I guess in Ridgeland. Uh, also at Landry's on the Square in Oxford, plus many other stores. You can find a full list of their retailers online at their website, GenteelApparel.com. Um, I've told you about end-of-season savings that are available. They've also got uh, new stuff that is coming in. So whether you're looking for uh, perfect-fitting pants and a flex canvas or a performance fit, you're looking for shorts for the spring and the summer, or you're looking to kind of up your game in the golf shirt department, they've got you covered at Genteel Apparel. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. So, Borky, we were talking about kind of the difference in the Pac-12 and the Big 12. They have been through similar things in the last year. For the Big 12, it's the case the last two years. right? You go back to July of 21, 
And that's when the news broke that Texas and OU were leaving the Big 12 to come to the SEC. It was this past summer when we got the news that Southern Cal and UCLA were leaving the Pac-12 to join the Big 10. That's going to happen in 2024. OU and Texas coming to the SEC in 2024. But think about the different way that they've handled it. So we were talking about the Big Twin, right? They kind of absorbed the gut punch. They regrouped, and they decided to add teams. And and again, they didn't add an equivalent to what they lost because an equivalent to what they lost didn't exist. There was no no option there. And so they said, okay, let's survey the landscape of college football. What are the teams that are relevant, but they're playing at a, a, a lower level, that have invested in their program, have invested in their facilities, that have had success on the field. They came away with BYU. Huge brand, not just nationally, but internationally, and competitive on the field. Cincinnati, a year removed from the college football playoff. UCF, a handful of years removed from an undefeated season and an argument for being in the playoff, even though ultimately they weren't there and claimed a national championship, with a massive student enrollment. And Houston, who has a billionaire benefactor in Tillman Fertitta, who has driven expansion in their facilities, in their kind of their entire athletics department. They're relevant in basketball, top five team in the country. They have been relevant in football, good facilities there. So all those make sense. Are they the sexiest names out there? No. But what's the Pac-12 done? They've issued a bunch of press releases about sticking together. Sticking together, knowing full well, it's almost like for their own sanity, they convince themselves that they're sticking together, knowing that Oregon and Washington desperately would like to go to the Big Ten. Yeah. And knowing that there's a really good chance that if that happens, and maybe even if it doesn't happen, Arizona and Arizona State feel like they might be a good fit for the Big 12. And I would argue Colorado and Iowa State would be a good fit for the Big 12 as well. And and, and so, again, the Big 12 did a TV deal that's not anywhere close to the SEC's TV deal or the Big Ten's TV deal, it's really not that far off from where the ACC is and is going to be for the next decade. The Pac-12 can't get anything done. And not only can they not get anything done, they may not even be able to get anything done at the level the Big 12 has already gotten it done and has solidified its financial future. It's a financial future that's going to be lacking in comparison to the Big Ten and the SEC, but at least they know where they are and they know where they're going to be. Yep. There's nothing but uncertainty for the Pac-12. And look at trajectory. So, obviously, BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, Houston are not Texas and Oklahoma. But what direction are they going in? Look at what Cincinnati football has become. Now, I'm not thrilled with their replacement of Luke Fickle, but... Constantly updating facilities, regularly good, I'm on sorry. the ascent. I, I'm sorry. I said Iowa State to the Big 12. Yes, Iowa State is already part of the Big 12. I, forgive me. Thank you. UCF's on the ascent. Make, make your jokes about Gus Malzahn, but 
that program from where it was 10 years ago to where it is now is dramatically different, right? The Pac-12's got programs going the opposite direction. What what is Stanford football now? Nobody goes, nobody cares. They don't get players. They're not going to be lenient on academic standards. Falling Don't think at Cal. That's what what's happening at Cal as well. Arizona State, you know, I know just they just made a new hire. Maybe that changes. But what has Arizona State been lately? A disaster. They they recently updated their stadium where they took out a ton of seats because nobody's going anymore. I mean, what's left there? They're as lucky. Side. That is the most inexplicably yeah. dysfunctional athletics department that I can think of. When you think about being in Phoenix Metro in Tempe with 60,000 undergraduate students, and I know it's hot there in the summer. Like, I get it. It's hot there. You bring a kid into Tempe on a recruiting visit in any month that is not June, July, August, or September, dude, you got a lot to sell there. I don't yeah, understand do. why Arizona State underachieves in every sport. It's hard to it fathom. It makes no sense to me. None. Maybe they think a change of scenery will help that. Maybe. That's where, I, you know, there, there was a time where I thought, with the, all this conference expansion and changing. And by the way, the SEC in this doesn't sound like they're in any uh, in any position to expand. They could any time. It doesn't sound like they want to. The SEC? Yeah. That, it it kind of sounds like they're good right now. They're patient. Yeah. It's easy to be patient when you're playing from a position of strength, too. The sure. SEC and the Big Ten are in the ultimate positions of strength. I mean, what, what, what could you do if you're the SEC? All you can do is sit and wait and see if the ACC falls apart. Yeah. Because you know Florida State would like to join the league. You know Clemson would like to join the league. North Carolina is kind of a crapshoot on whether they would prefer to be in the SEC or the the Big Ten. You certainly would take Notre Dame. That seems unlikely. Virginia Tech would love to be in the SEC. I don't know how Virginia views itself. I would think that Virginia, like the the faculty people would view themselves more Big Ten and fans would view themselves more SEC. Just a guess. The more I learn about college faculty, the more I realize that there are Tens, if not hundred, I don't know how many people actually go to college. Tens of thousands, if not many, many more, of people that waste every cent that they borrow to attend the schools that they attend. Yeah. Um. Florida State, Virginia Tech, NC State, Clemson would crawl over hot coals to come to the SEC. Yeah, and I think they would be. A- now it would blow the schedule thing up again. And I like where we're headed with that. I'm really excited about that. No doubt. I've seen so many proposals for the, the permanent opponents and stuff. The only one that makes sense to me is Dellinger's. All the other ones I look at, I think, either A, they're not doing that, or B, you're... Like, like I saw one that had Ole Miss having Mississippi State, Vandy, and Missouri. 
It, it was Bud Elliott that did that, but 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 it he 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 put that out, Borky, saying this will never be adopted. This is simply a model that would maximize value for TV partners and throw a bone to the bottom half of the league to give them more opportunities to consistently be bowl eligible. That was the that was the thinking behind that schedule. But never would happen. Do you do you have to throw a bone to the television partners? They've already signed the the agreement. You know, I mean, do you have to do anything? Probably don't have to. I guess you would like to the next time you have to sit at the table, but um. Vito says, I was going to suggest a union between the WAC and the Pac-10, Pac-12, and then I started thinking who in the West is in a position to improve the Pac-10. Hey, nobody. But that's still where they're headed. I mean, probably, you know, a combination of the WAC and the Mountain West. What's the Pac-12 going to do? Get Boise State. Boise State. San Diego State. Ooh. Gonzaga. Who doesn't play football? I don't think. Nope. Certainly not at the Division not I level. One. Utah is the other team, by the way, I was trying to come up with for the Big 12 when I said Iowa State. So it would be Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah. If those four made the move to the Big 12, pretty good league. We'll be back. Can you feel it? Can you hear it? Sports Talk Mississippi. Yeah! On Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thanks as always for being with us. Another state does college baseball better than Mississippi. And tomorrow, Sports Talk Mississippi will be live at Swayze Field in Oxford as the reigning national champions prepare to begin their 2023 season. You'll hear from coaches, some former players, hopefully, as we celebrate the opening of the college baseball season here in the Magnolia State. Also, we remind you that. Country music superstar Morgan Wallen is coming to Oxford in April, and you've got a chance to win tickets. All you got to do is enter your name and contact information at one of our registration boxes located throughout the state, like at Little Caesars Pizza in Brookhaven, Got Gear Motorsports in Ridgeland, or at Sage and Willow Boutique in Corinth. There are many others as well. You can find the full list at Supertalk. .fm slash Morgan Wallen. Winners will get two sweet tickets to see Morgan Wallen at Vaughn Hemingway Stadium on Sunday night, April 23rd. Ticket giveaway is brought to you by First South Farm Credit, King's Daughters Medical Center, Jumpstart Test Prep, and Toyota of Brookhaven. Ole Miss and Florida are underway in Gainesville. That was a 5.30 tip. They just made it to the first media timeout with the Gators up 1-6-5. That's with 15.53 to go in the first half. There are three other games tonight in the SEC. Tennessee is a three-point favorite at home against Alabama. So you got number one Alabama, number 10 Tennessee. Tennessee coming off a couple of losses last weekend Alabama 22-3 and overall. Their losses are to UConn, Gonzaga, and on the road against Oklahoma. 
the uh, Crimson Tide are 12-0 and 0 in the SEC. I guess I should say the Crimson Tide is 12-0 and 0 in the SEC. Sorry, English snob. Kentucky at Mississippi State tonight. Cats 7-5 and five in the league. Mississippi State 5-7 and seven in the league. But in the what-have-you-done-for-me-lately category, it looks a little bit different as Kentucky has lost two in a row, back-to-back losses to Arkansas and Georgia. Mississippi State, meanwhile, has won five straight. Bulldogs got their winning streak started with a victory over TCU. That was in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Then four straight wins on the road against South Carolina, home against Missouri, home against LSU, and then outside of their win against Marquette back in November, the most impressive victory on the on the season. And maybe more so because of the environment at Arkansas on Saturday where they got a six-point win and led by as much as 16 in the second half. Seventeen and eight overall. And Borky, I, I feel like we were a little bit ahead of the curve nationally in recognizing what might be coming for Mississippi State. But you still had to watch it actually happen. Like we we looked at that when they were headed on the road against Alabama, and we saw them lose that game by three. You looked at what was ahead, and you're like, eh, TCU, eh, probably pretty tall task there. But after that, they got started at one game early with the overtime win against TCU. And then four straight wins, and Mississippi State has gotten to a point where there are six games left in the regular season. And you, you said it, though. The signs were there before. I mean... And, and look, Haydad gets credit, man. He was he was ahead of us as well. Yeah, I didn't buy it. Not not as much as he did. But like the Georgia game. So it's an eight-point loss on the box score. But it was a four-point game when State had the ball. I think they turned it over, fouled with just a few seconds left, and Georgia made free throws. And it, that was the night where they missed double-digit free throws. Mm-hmm. If you they, they shot under 50% from the free throw line. There's a reason they call them free throws, right? If they were just below average from the free throw line, the Georgia loss is gone. Yep. Florida was a game that they should have won. Yep. And then they played Alabama tough as you could play Alabama in that building. No doubt. Uh, so it, it was there. them defensively. Yeah. Caused Alabama to have a terrible shooting night. And that's what it is, right? I said this, uh, I was on uh, Louisville radio earlier today. And you should hear the way they talk about Kentucky. It is so funny. They're like, these teams are terrible. Cal's going to get fired. I mean, they're just, they're done. But to, to borrow the words of Harry Carey, they don't exactly speak about them in auditory terms. No, they, they don't. But uh, one thing that was interesting, and I think the, the host was spot on in his observation when he was like, these are largely all the same guys. Why are they playing better? And one, it's a, obviously a very good coaching job, but... They don't have anybody that can consistently score the basketball. Nobody. They don't have great ball handlers. They've got a really good big who's who's a veteran, he's physical, plays really smart, will out-tough you. But other than that, 
There's been flashes at, at times, but that's it. They are woefully inconsistent scoring the basketball, and yet they are in basically every game. They should have at least two more wins than they do. Should have beaten Drake as well. You you don't even have to stretch to say they should have three more wins than they currently do. Should be a 20-win team right now. And they went to Fayetteville and won. They beat a ranked TCU team. I mean, it's what Chris Jans has done with a roster that, without you know disparaging college athletes who work really hard, they shouldn't be in this position considering what they currently have. I don't think. I think it's taken an... Ex- They're really athletic. They are. They are. And they play hard, and they clearly work hard, and they defend like crazy. But if you told me, go get a bucket. You're, you're, you're down three, 15 seconds left. Who gets the ball? Either Deshaun Davis or Shaquille Moore. Probably Shaquille but, Moore right now. Right now, who shoots 20% from the outside. Better as of late. Better lately. But but that's uh, it sounds like a backhanded compliment. It's not. It's just what he has done with a team that isn't necessarily built to win a bunch of games is impressive to me. I don't think there's any question that he's done a really good coaching job. And it starts with their defense. They play suffocating defense. A ton of effort. Heard Mike Wise, uh, Mark Wise earlier talk about length, speed, effort, willingness, all those things. Toughness. They, they've got those things, and they're tough. They weathered the storm. They didn't quit. They were one in seven in SEC play, and they played hard in every single game. Yeah. They got blown out once. It was on the road at Tennessee. And then they were down like sixteen to nothing to start that game. Yeah. And you saw some of that in Fayetteville, right? Where they would have, they had a lead throughout, but then Arkansas. There was one spot where Arkansas hit a couple threes. Yeah, and the place is nuts. And yeah. then they just get a basket, force a turnover, get another one, and then airs out of the building again. They did that time and time again in the second half. It's what they do. It's impressive. I mean, that that was kind of the selling point, right? Going into the season was. This team and this style is going to be, they're going to drag you down into the mud and beat you with rocks. And, and so they have earned meaningful games in February. If February can go one of two ways for a college basketball team. You can either just kind of be playing out the final month of the regular season, or you can have a game where every time you step on the floor, the stakes are unimaginably high. And that's where Mississippi State is. Mark Wise and I did the, the Texas A&M game against LSU on Saturday night, and obviously it wasn't a close game, but in, in the open to the broadcast, as we were kind of teeing up the conversation about Texas A&M, I said, you know, Texas A&M, because of what they did in the non-conference, they were 6-5 and five with two quad four losses, has been playing critically important, almost must-win games for over a month now. Stakes being high, that's old hat to Texas A&M at this point because they've had no margin for error. Took Mississippi State a little bit longer to get to that point. They actually built themselves in some margin for error because of what they did in the non-conference, kind of the reverse of Texas A&M. 
And then they played themselves out of a top 25 ranking. They played themselves out of the NCAA tournament. They played themselves out of the conversation. But Chris Jans kept preaching to his team, schedule's going to get, it's going to turn. We're going to win some games. You got to stick with it. And to their ever-loving credit, they have stuck with it. They stuck through having to play Alabama and Tennessee twice. They stuck through the road trip against Texas A&M. They stuck through all the hard stuff and got to a manageable place in their schedule, and now they've taken advantage by winning five straight. And they've set up a massive game tonight against Kentucky. One that they're favored in, by the way. They are favored at home tonight against Kentucky for a game that's going to basically end up as a sellout. Under 200? Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll wrap up the show with you when we come back in the Pearl River Resort Studio. .fm. I listen to it at work. At work. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. Did you get that memo? Yes, sir. you're not a pre-masters golf guy but oh i'll i'll be checking it but, out this weekend tiger Woods, uh tiger woods justin thomas rory mcelroy paired yeah. for the first two rounds of the genesis at riv this weekend as the as the two tour bros like to call it yeah that's He's played at riv that, riviera that, country club that can Hogan's get Alley. me in yeah Ooh. tiger played a uh Played the Pro-Am today. Had a 6.30 a.m. tee-off. It was in the 40s and stayed that way for the entire front nine. He was bundled up like the abominable snowman. Put like a neck wrap on. He puts his hat on. He puts a toboggan on on top of his hat. He's got sweater, long sleeves underneath. I wonder if Tiger's like, this is Southern California, right? Isn't it supposed to be a little warmer for this? What are we doing? That's uh, that's pretty good stuff. It's much I must watch golf this weekend. Yeah, as close as you can get to uh, non-masters. Yeah, because of who it is. It, it, it's Tiger's different, man. So different. Just go make the cut, man. That's all I got to do. You don't have to win. Just go be semi-competitive and stay healthy for the whole round. Give us give us something to really look toward April for. Yeah. Um, news out of Austin, a Texas prosecutor earlier today moved to dismiss a felony domestic violence case against former Longhorns men's basketball coach Chris Beard, in part because of the alleged victim's wishes not to prosecute. Jose Garza, the Travis County District Attorney, said that after a review of the evidence, and considering the wishes of Randy True, Beard's fiance, his office determined the charge of assault by strangulation slash suffocation, family violence, could not be proved beyond a reasonable doubt. It is hard for the prosecutor to prosecute someone when the victim 
has dropped the charges against the perpetrator. Beard was arrested on December 12th after True called 911 and told officers that Beard had strangled her, bit her, and hit her during a confrontation in his home. She later recanted her statement saying that she acted in self-defense and she never wanted him prosecuted. His attorney said a lot of words. Um, Texas suspended Beard without pay the day that he was arrested, and then they fired him on January 5th. When Texas officials told Beard's attorney that he was, quote, unfit to lead the program. Fired him with cause because of the allegations. We'll see if Chris Beard sues Texas for money since the charges were dropped. I, I don't know. So that immediately brings up the question. We've gotten messages about it on the ceasefire text line. You've gotten text messages about it from your buddies, etc., etc., etc. Ole Miss, Chris Beard. Ole Miss isn't hiring Chris Beard. And Ole Miss is not hiring Will Wade. Let me say that again. I did not put any qualifiers on that. None. I did not hesitate. I did not tiptoe around that statement. Ole Miss is not hiring Chris Beard, despite the fact that the charges were dropped in Travis County, Texas today. Additionally, Ole Miss is not hiring Will Wade. Yes, I know Ole Miss doesn't have an opening right now in the coach. Whatever. I mean, come on. That was as clear as you could be. We all know the score. We know what's going to happen at the end of the season. Ole Miss playing basketball right now. They lead Florida 19-15 on the road. Horrible loss to Florida. Ooh. Um, it's, it's, it's not happening. Ole Miss is not hiring Chris Beard. Ole Miss is not hiring Will Wade. Period. End of sentence. You can like it. You can not like it. You can disagree. You can argue with me. You're welcome to argue with me about it. You'll be wrong. Ole Miss is not hiring Chris Beard. Ole Miss is not hiring Will Wade. That's all I got, Borky. I'm out. I appreciate it. We've got a minute left. I don't know how more more clear I can be. We'll have plenty of time to talk about this as well. There is a name that is intriguing as you know what to me, and it's Chris Holtman at Ohio State. Now, fans would have to kind of ignore that his, his team is underperforming this season. Had a lot of close losses, injuries, stuff like that. But he has made seven consecutive NCAA tournaments. There's a chance that he's looking for a reset. And somebody said that name to me a couple weeks ago. I said it to Caleb, our news guy down the hall. He did some digging. Apparently there's some family in Mississippi. That not saying it's impossible. I am saying it's unlikely. But yes, you are you, you are accurate that there are some ties and there may be some interest. That would be interesting. And that is how we will bring Sports Talk Mississippi to a close. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday afternoon. For Michael Borky, I'm Richard Cross in the Pearl River Resort Studios. Good night. Oh, it's incredible! A Super Talk Mississippi media production.